Matthew chapter 8 this morning. We'll be reading 8, 1 to 4. When Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Father, this morning we thank you for a text that in some ways is familiar to us, and yet oftentimes we remember such occasions of record detached from their context, detached from the flow of the scripture as presented to us, and in this case, by thy servant Matthew. Help us in this morning as we attend to the text, as it sets in the text of the book of Matthew and the presentation of King Jesus for the full consideration of our souls. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon your people at study. For that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Our text begins, and he, Jesus, was come down from the mountain. Upon first reading that phrase, it appears to be a simple, incidental fact. But as the immediate, continuing record of the end of the Messianic Manifesto, it reminds us that this must also be a consequential fact. Incidental? Sure. Consequential? To be sure. We fussed over the apparent incidental record at the beginning of the Manifesto, chapter 5 and verse 1. We said back there, that Messiah saw the multitude and that the word of his sight on that occasion means to perceive or to discern something. And indeed, Messiah saw the crowd following him on the day of record and uh, perceived it to be a fulfillment of prophecy concerning him. He sat down before the crowd on the hilltop to speak his words as the word become flesh. Our outline back for chapter 5 and verse 1 was devoted to Messiah's sight 
Messiah's seat, and Messiah's speech. Now we come to the immediate aftermath, to the immediate afterward, and we must say that in this continuing record, we must view this record after the Messianic Manifesto as certainly incidental and consequential to the Manifesto as delivered. We can also say that devotionally, uh, the phrase, when he was come down from the mountain, is likewise monumental, in that it represents in kind the big thing that God was doing in that moment in time. God the Son had come down out of heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. And this incidental and consequential fact of his coming down from the mount opens a new emphasis of the Lord's ability over sin and disease. The manifesto ended with the crowd's astonishment concerning the Lord's verbal authority, 729. And now chapter 8 opens with a series of evidences of the Lord's vivacious ability. Spoken authority, the manifesto itself, followed by demonstrations of ability, and of which this morning we consider the first. All of those things, the spoken, verbal authority and these records of vivacious ability combine together to help us see that Jesus spoke and Jesus acted as God. He spoke and acted as God. And so we assert that the little phrase, when he was come down from the mountain is incidental and a consequential truth and a reminder of the monumental truth uh, concerning the God-man. Continuing just briefly with uh, uh, the introduction here, we also note on this occasion that great multitudes followed him. And while we all know that the word follow is one of those Greek words used to describe the disciples of Christ, it is important that we narrow our focus on this particular occasion to understand that most of these followers of the Lord Jesus are simply of the curious and the uncommitted of variety. Uh, many of these people that are following Christ on this occasion will soon uh, uh, leave off and abandon him. And that's important to note as we think upon the aspect of great multitudes uh, following him. Only in the curious sense, only in the uncommitted sense of variety of followers. And then we come to the word in verse 2, behold. And it's like a trumpet blast of the Holy Spirit in the text in order to alert us and to call our attention to the first case in the continuing record of the Lord's divine authority and ability 
as demonstrated on earth. You can take all of Matthew 5, 6, 7 and put it under the banner of the Lord's spoken authority. And then beginning in verse 8, you can put it all under the banner of demonstrations of the Lord's ability. Authority and ability, authority and ability, authority and ability come together as God, the God-man, is on earth. The first case, as many of you are quite familiar from your days in the educational hour, is about the leper who is cleansed. As a young boy, I had an uncle who suffered from severe psoriasis. And therefore, I can relate something to the social stigma of ugly-looking skin. But the horrific sufferings of those that have leprosy go far beyond the social stigma and indeed uh, are experiencing a death-producing and danger uh, to themselves and to uh, the community. On average, from the time that a person is diagnosed with Hansen's disease or leprosy, on average, they have nine years until they die. Modern science calls leprosy Hansen's disease, and like many diseases thought to be quelled or managed in the modern world, there have now been new outbreaks of leprosy, even here in the United States of America. Christian medical doctor Paul Brandt was celebrated for his work with leprosy and is credited with describing it as a painless disease in that the dominant symptom is numbness, causing unfeeling people to injure and literally to wear away their hands and feet for lack of touch and feeling. Since leprosy was and is known to be an airborne disease after extended exposure, uh, uh, the kind of uh, radical uh, uh, isolation protocol, uh, uh, protocols uh, that uh, we were uh, introduced to most recently under COVID uh, uh, were all and the more applied uh, concerning the case of the leper. Most of you are aware that the person with leprosy in the biblical era was expect, uh, expected uh, when in a, a group of people to cry out when moving towards the group, unclean, 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 so that the, the, the group could, could spread like the Red Sea opening at the hand of God, providing plenty of space for the leper to uh, uh, pass through. And so when you have uh, uh, in uh, our opening verse of chapter 8, a simple record of great multitude following Christ as he comes down from the mountain and the case of a leper uh, coming towards him. Uh, what's not recorded in the understated accord of the scripture is that the people that were immediately surrounding around Jesus, quite a number uh, to be sure, uh, had been met with the leper approaching Jesus saying along the way, unclean, 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 and the crowd just opens up. Uh, as it were, uh, to give way to that person uh, because nobody wants what he's got. Nobody wants what he's got. 
Does anybody want what you got? That's another sermon. Nonetheless, there's a lot to this story that we can surmise in its understated rendering here in Matthew chapter 8. But we know that lepers led lives of lonely isolation, social stigma, and constant injury until death. And even after death, no clothing or goods would have been passed down to family members as everything touched and used by the leper was carefully handled and burned. The case of a hopeless leper is front and center as Jesus the Messiah comes down from the mount, having given the words representing his verbal authority we now begin a series of evidences of the Lord's almighty ability. And the first case is the case of the leper. It's a heartwarming and encouraging account, and it demonstrates the divine authority and ability of the Lord Jesus. So with those things in mind, I call your attention once again to verse 2. And behold... There came a leper and worshipped him. First of all, this morning we find in verse 2 a worshipping leper. The leper comes near Jesus, which is, of course, in of itself unusual. He would have been expected uh, to avoid direct contact uh, with others so as to avoid the spread of the disease and medical offense. But this leper, having heard Jesus from afar, is convinced of his divine authority and his divine ability, and so he draws near worshiping, says the script. I take those words, he worshipped, to simply mean that the leper fell down on his knees about six feet from the Lord, prostrate. Worship, the word in this case, and in many cases in the New Testament, simply means to bow down or to fall down before a king or dignitary. The word prostrate is in English confusable with prostate. Prostate is a male body part notable for its susceptibility to cancer. Prostrate means to take a humble position uh, laying down before a king or dignitary. Proscuneo is the Greek, which literally means to kiss the hand and commonly references to prostrate oneself before a king or dignitary in reverence and humility. 
This leper not only bows low before Jesus, but does so with words of confidence in the authority and the ability of the Lord Jesus. He bows down saying, Lord, I know. Lord, I know you can make me clean if you have desire to do so. In essence, the leper said, Lord, I don't know if you are willing to do so, but I know that you possess power to make me clean. And the word can is our familiar word dunamis, which is translated power and, of course, means power and ability. And so the worshiper worships by bowing low in recognition of God's ability. And in that, I do believe that we see the characteristics of a true worshiper. True worshipers humble themselves before God, convinced of his ability, and submissive to God's own will. Think of that now once again. Three characteristics in this leper as he approaches the Lord Jesus. Number one, he bends low. He bows low. He humbles himself before the Lord Jesus. He does so with words of confidence, of words of conviction concerning the Lord's ability. And thirdly, he makes it very clear that he believes the Lord can heal him if the Lord wants to. But in the fact that he defers to the Lord, that he defers to God, that he defers to the authority uh, by, before whom he bows, he shows himself as submissive. What does it mean to worship God this morning on September 3rd, 2022? Well, it means to bow low of heart before God. It means to be convinced with the words that have been sung and read and preached and prayed. And it means indeed to submit ourselves to the will of God no matter what. That is the heart of a worshiper. And you see that very clearly in the life of this leper. Secondly, in verse 3, we find out that Jesus is a willing healer as recorded. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When was the last time this leper had ever been touched by another person? The only answer we can give is, don't know whether it was months or years. But the fact that the Lord Jesus, in response to the leper, first put forth his hand to touch the guy is very telling. The Lord feared not at all to touch the untouchable. 
to reach the unreachable, to cure the uncurable. The Lord hesitated not to touch the guy it's telling. The word touch, by the way, as it often is in the New Testament uh, scripture, uh, is, uh, is understood uh, not uh, uh, to be just point thy finger and uh, touch, but rather it has the idea to grasp, to adhere, and is probably best represented by our English word in modern days by the word cling. Jesus clung to him, grabbed a hold of him. And, uh, and uh, that is a, a, a phenomenal thing in of itself. He grabbed a hold of the leper saying, I'm willing. You be clean. And the text reports that the man was instantaneously cleansed from his leprosy. Jesus the willing healer, could have just spoken a word of cleansing without touching the guy. And by the way, that'll be next. But he touched him. Jesus could have just touched him without healing the guy. But he healed him. And he healed him instantaneously. We surely ought to see in this the compassion and the capability of the Lord Jesus. Our blessed Lord is a most capable caregiver. There are people who care but are not capable. And there are people that are capable but do not care. But the God-man is a most capable caregiver, as recorded on this occasion. Matthew writes of this encounter as driven by the Holy Spirit, that you and I might see Jesus as both Lord and Christ. Jesus truly cares, and he is truly capable. And so it's as it, as it is that these, these little uh, vignettes of Recorded miracles of the Lord after he comes down from the mountain are like the facets of a diamond being spun on a black cloth uh, so that you and I can see something of the glory and the spectacularism of the Lord Jesus Christ as to his person and as to his work, as to his verbal authority, and as to his vivacious ability. He is Lord and Christ. He is the God-man. He spoke and he acted, as did God. And then thirdly this morning, we find here a very warranted uh, command, a warranted command of Jesus uh, to the former leper. Because the Bible is clear that immediately his leprosy left him, and so the uh, command and the imperative of words in verse 4 open up, as it were, Uh, words of instruction to the former leper, the former leper. And uh, and the verbs in verse 4 are interesting to chase. I believe that they are all words uh, that have direct application to every believer in Jesus Christ. 
Those words are keep seeing, go, show, and offer. Here are the words of the Christian life. See, go, show, offer. See, go, show, offer. See, go, show, offer. There's a sermon there. And I, I, if I were convinced that I was preaching exclusively to Christians this morning, I guess I might make that the sermon. But that's not the sermon. I simply pointed out to you because all of those verbs, see, go, show, offer, are imperative. And they all speak of a set of related actions to be done following miraculous healing. Jesus did not, on this occasion, forbid the man from telling his family. Jesus did not, on this occasion, forbid the man from ever telling his neighbors. Jesus did not, on this occasion, forbid the man from ever telling the whole community that he was clean at the hands and the word of the living Christ. No, Jesus insisted that the man follow through first and foremost with the appointed meeting with a Jewish priest to examine his cleansing and to pronounce him clean as demanded under the law of Moses. Jesus insisted that the man submit to the ritual under the law for one made clean. Now we're going to end this morning in a moment with that ritual. But first I want you to know why Jesus made this demand on the man, on the man who was cleansed. Jesus said, you need to do this. Last phrase of verse 4, for a testimony unto them. The pronoun them refers most logically to the multitude that separated itself like the Red Sea when the leper came approaching, saying, unclean, unclean. It was and is doctrinally significant that Jesus, who was made of the woman and made under the law, that he would fulfill the demand of the law as he had to come to redeem them that were under that law and under the condemnation of that law. Galatians 4.4. 4. The law of Moses pointed to Christ. And on this occasion, Jesus, who is the Christ, demanded that the law be used to testify of him to the Jewish multitude. And I would say that even more specifically, not just to the Jewish multitude at large, although I think that's the most natural rendering of the word them, but would also include, and I believe particularly include, reference to the Jewish leadership, the priestly class, 
and those that were indeed in charge in Israel back in that day. I want to turn to the expanded record of the ritual involved concerning the cleansing of a leper. And therefore, we turn to the Old Testament book of Leviticus and chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14, and I'm going to read this morning for our consideration, verses 1 through 7. Leviticus 14, 1-7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. Right there, we can just pause to say that by Jesus giving this man instruction to go show himself first and foremost to the priest, that Jesus demonstrates himself before the crowd as being submissive to uh, the written word of God. The law of God, the law of Moses, exactly as you have it here, Leviticus 14, 2, verse 3. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him the leper, that is to be cleansed, that would be ceremonially cleansed. He's already clean physically. Ritualistically cleansed. Take for him, that is to be ritualistically cleansed. Two birds alive. And clean. Clean birds. Uh, uh, meaning uh, birds that would be acceptable for sacrifice. And along with the birds, cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. So you take one of the sacrificial birds and you slay the bird over an earthen vessel while water is being poured over the top of the bird, expanding the blood bloody substance, making the entirety of the fluidity uh, in the pot uh, of uh, shed blood uh, 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 crimson or scarlet or red. Verse 6, as for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. You take the live bird in hand, you tie it to the wood and the hyssop with a scarlet cord, and then you take the wood and you plunge it down in the bloody bath of the bird that was sacrificed. Not too long. Baptism is meant to be down and up, not down. You don't drown people. It's for a testimony. It's a ritual. And so the bird goes down in the bloody bath and up out of the bloody bath, dipped, submersed, immersed in the blood of his fellow. Verse 7. 
And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed, that's the leper, from the leper, see, seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and let the living bird loose into the open field. So the bird is plunged down in the bloody bath, pulled up. The leper, who has presented himself to the priest as clean, stands there in his physical cleanliness, and the priest takes this bloody combination of wood and hyssop and bird dead, I'm sorry, bird alive, dipped in the bird that was dead, and he takes the whole of it and goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the priest says to the leper, you're clean, go home, kiss your honey. And then the priest turns to untie the bird that was dipped in blood. And it flies away. Two creatures of the same kind, birds, taken. One killed over water. And the second dipped in the blood of the first and set free. The leper then sprinkled with the blood of the first. I'm sorry, the blood of the living. Additional actions of obedience follow, but the former leper would then be free to join the whole of Israeli society. To what does the two-bird ritual point? And how would this build a testimony to the multitude? And particularly, a testimony to the priestly class that would facilitate the ritualistic cleansing. In the case of the leper, miraculously healed by the word and the touch of the Lord Jesus. Well, first we can say what we've said. The testimony of Jesus was certainly that he demonstrated allegiance to the law of God as given Moses as exactly we would expect Messiah to do. But then secondly, the two birds foreshadow or typify the Savior's work ahead in the first advent. Christ is the bird killed in whose blood the other of his fellow creature is dipped and set free. But Christ is also the bird set free 
beyond the bloodshed onto life, resurrected life, when rightly building correspondences between the Old Testament shadow and the New Testament substance, the point is always Christ. Christ. First and foremost, Christ, the two birds, must in some way foreshadow Christ. Believers have for thousands of years understood the ritual of two birds under the law in terms of the sacrificial death of Christ for our sins and his glorious resurrection. Two birds, one Savior, who died and forever lives. Yet, the truth of Christ our Savior, foreshadowed in the Old Testament law, rightly connects to his work of salvation. The two birds speak of one Savior, but the two birds speak of that one Savior's salvation. And that salvation is beautifully depicted in the death of the one and the life of the other as dipped in the blood of the first. Christ died for our justification. His great sacrifice for the benefit of the sinner, a saint therein is born and a new life forever begun. Two birds speak of his death and resurrection. Two birds speak doctrinally of our justification and sanctification by our ever-living Lord. That beautiful ancient ritual under the law announced there is a Savior and he has the authority and the ability to save. What is it that is the testimony to the crowd that day? What is it ultimately upon meditation and thought is the testimony raised to the priestly class in Israel when Jesus came down from the mountain and confronted the leper. It is that there is a Savior and that there is salvation as a result of his saving work. What a blessed thing for you and I to think. On this particular Lord's Day, there is a Savior, and there is salvation from sin as a result of his work. This is called Labor Day. And as you will learn in the next hour, with no purpose among men to speak of the great work, of the Savior, or the great work of his salvation. 
But that's why we came together this morning on this Labor Day to remind ourselves of the blessed work of Jesus Christ. As it were, a bird dipped in the blood of his fellow and released in resurrected life, having experienced death on the cross for our sins. With the power of God, he resurrected on the third day and now has ascended our Lord evermore. And as a result of that, you and I know something, and we know something for sure on this Lord's Day morning, and that is that there is, there is a Redeemer, and there is salvation in his name. There is a Redeemer, and there is salvation in his name. And that will be the focus of our month-long response at worship this particular month of September as it relates to our Redeemer. Father, help us then to be a responsive people to your word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.